0: Fox War News in Kansas City. Are we rolling? Are we on? Hello? I'm Nick (laughs) Vassos. This is Signal Hill. Hi everybody and welcome in to another edition of Signal Hill. It's great to have you here. We're going to talk about a mysterious formation today. What do we know about Stonehenge? Well, Mr. David Dawson is a renowned British archaeologist and an expert on Stonehenge, and he's in Kansas City this week to give a special guest lecture at Union Station with their current Stonehenge exhibition. Mr. Dawson, it is good to see you. Thanks for being here with us today.
1: It's a real pleasure. Thank you. So uh, let's start from the very beginning. What is Stonehenge? Stonehenge is a monument. It's a stone circle. It's a henge. Um, which really means it's some sort of ceremonial or ritual site. Now, the key thing is that what we're talking about is something that's thousands of years ago, and there's no written records. So all that's left is the physical remains, things like stone, traces in the soil, and the objects that people have left behind. The rest of it we have to try and puzzle out for ourselves. Hmm. Where
0: is Stonehenge?
1: It's roughly halfway between London and Bristol, so it's about 100 miles from London, in the middle of the Wiltshire countryside. And, and when was it built? Ah, now that's a very good question. The um, It was built in a series of stages. About 3,000 BC, they built a circular bank and ditch and put stones around the inside. Now, the stones are about the size of people. They're so about six feet tall. And they weigh only about three or four tons. Now, the interesting thing is that they were brought from Wales, which is about 120 miles away. Now, remember, of course, they had... Nothing to bring them with. right? So that's the first of the rather interesting things about Stonehenge. So what's the speculation
0: about how they brought them there? Did they, and and you know, what kind of tools were available at the time?
1: Well, this is before metal. And these things are made of very, very hard igneous rock, what's called bluestone. Which means that you can't just they couldn't just take a hammer and chisel and chisel them away. Um, most of the, those stones are actually shaped, and the way they to shape them is by bashing them with other bits of hard rock, and then polishing them same way as you use sandpaper. And so, actually, sort of shaping the stones was a major effort, and then then getting them here, well. We don't really know. It's, there's no evidence, but the, the guesswork is if it's only three or four tons, you could make something a bit like a stretcher and carry them. Say 20 people could carry mm-hmm. them overland, Or you could stick them on a, a simple raft and float them. But on the other hand, floating them in the sea, if it's a bit choppy, it's not a great idea. I wouldn't want to try it. So um, put them on rollers. and Yeah, yeah. put
0: logs or something and yep. roll them yep. and just we over don't, and over We again. don't
1: know they ha- if they had the wheel. It's possible they did. There's no evidence, but that doesn't mean they didn't. So they might have had some sort of Carter thing, I suppose. Who was thought to have built Stonehenge? Well, the, um, the, 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 it, it was built 3000 BC. The, the people around then were um, uh, sort of European, so um, it was the local people at the time. It's possible that they were some of the well they were the, the first farmers, and their ancestry is probably from sort of Central Europe. Um, but that was the same as everyone else in the area at the time. but the uh, the people who brought that idea of farming may have come up the west of Britain. and that may be why the stones came from Wales. Perhaps Wales was their ancestral homeland. and there's evidence some of the people um, it, at Stonehenge at about this time it became a cremation cemetery so when people died they were cremated and what was left was then buried at stonehenge and there's evidence that some of those people their ans- they came from wales mm-hmm. when you're young and the water you drink has traces of minerals in the water and that gets embedded in your teeth and that gives a clue as the geology where people grew up
0: what was is there any context about what life was like at the time that this was being built? What was the a normal life of someone who lived in this area of the world?
1: Nasty, brutish, and short. I bet <laughs> it was. Um, the, uh, the average age of death is going to be about sort of forty or fifty. Oh, uh, so, if, so if you did well, you hit that. But it would be like many societies, um, sort of in 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 other parts of the world, where many children would have died very young. If you survived beyond the first five years or so, the chance there were you'd get to 30 or 40 and disappear at that point. That's really interesting because, of course, something on the scale of Stonehenge means that this isn't just done in one person's lifetime. So whatever the idea is, it goes through several generations so there's a real sign-up to doing something like this. It's not as though, you know, today you look at a construction project and think, right, we're going to take 10 years over that.
0: <laughs> uh, is there an idea about it, if this time was a a time of, of upheaval, of great change, or was this a a, a great time of peace?
1: Uh, I think the, the there's no evidence, but I th- it has to be peace. Because if you're going to bring 90 stones weighing 4 tons 120 miles – You've got to know you can make that journey mm-hmm. uh, ninety times. Cross now, Christians and say. cross generations. So, if you've got constant warfare going on and people bashing each other over the head, you ain't going to plan for that. Mm-hmm. You're too busy <laughs> trying to survive. So, I think it has to be a time of peace, and people have to. You have to let pe- other people who are not from your tribe, not from your family, you have to let them come across your land, you need to feed them and clothe them and house them when they're on their journey. So it just tells us everything about the the, the time then.
0: And that leads us to the next question, and you've you've alluded to it maybe a a little bit in our earlier conversation, is the question is, why? Why would they want to build something like this? Why would they want to... Do something that's going to take generations.
1: Whole, whole forests have been slaughtered over that to provide the books. So, <laughs> And there are some all sorts of crack, crackpot theories. Um, and we, we don't know. We will never know for sure. That's one of the, the joys of being an archaeologist is, you know, there will never be a 100% answer to a question like that. But. But. When everything comes down to it, it's got to be some sort of a temple, probably a temple to the sun and the moon, because it's lined up on the winter solstice. Mm-hmm. So that's the shortest day of the year. And that has to be the key time. You know, we, we've got Christmas. Right. Now, do you know why Christmas is on December the 25th?
0: Uh, I don't know, other than it's just on my calendar that year, er, er, you know, every and Of year. course, it's Christ's birthday, but yeah. we
1: don't know when Christ was born. The reason is the, the church, the early church, decided to displace pagan ceremonies. So what uh, St. Augustine in uh, 597 uh, was told by the Pope was to take over pagan temples so that the pagans could no longer use their pagan temples. They'd have to go to the church, and it's the same with Christmas. The idea was you have a main Christian ceremony on the same day as the pagans, on the solstice. Uh-huh. So when they're having their party, instead of them having a party to celebrate whatever their gods were, they now have to celebrate Christ's birthday. It's very cunning. Yeah, it,
0: it, it, well, I mean, that makes perfect yeah. sense, right?
1: Yeah. And, and at Stonehenge, what happens is there's a ceremonial um, avenue that leads up to Stonehenge. And if you walk up that at... Um, at in the evening or late, late afternoon, at midwinter, the sun sets behind the stones. And that's the key time of the year. The Druids, modern Druids, mm-hmm. you know, they gather at Stonehenge in the, in the summer and watch the sunrise over the stone uh, the, one of the, along that line. They got it wrong. It's the other way around.
0: Interesting. Uh, it, it sounds to me you're alluding that there is a specific entrance into Stonehenge. Yeah. And there's yeah. a... Exit? A
1: specific exit? Not particularly. There's a specific entrance, though, okay. because that, that avenue leads up. And Stonehenge is a bit like a film set. It looks great at the front. Mm-hmm. Round the back, it's slightly shoddy. <laughs> <laughs> Dodgy, right, you might say, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> the the best-dressed stones, <laughs> the widest entrance between the stones, faces on that avenue. That's the entrance. There's no doubt about that at all.
0: Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the stones. Uh, you mentioned they are made, uh, part of the stones are made of, of blue stones. Is there another type of stone that they use as well?
1: Yeah, they also they also use a local, more local stone called sarsen. So Stonehenge itself is built on uh, Salisbury Plain, which is made of chalk. So that's a fairly soft rock, uh, dating to about 60 million years ago. But there's this other type of stone that's on top of that called sarsen. That's only about 10 million years old. But it's really hard. Um, It formed in a tropical sea. So think a bit like the Caribbean. Think of a nice beach. Think of mangrove swamps. The sand sort of gets coagulated together Mm -hmm. and gets joined together with essentially liquefied sand. So it's silica joined together with silica. And it's, it's pretty hard. And that formed above the chalk. And so that appears in bits and pieces across the landscape. And what they did is they selected huge stones of that, probably from... Near Avebury, which is another stone circle, another Neolithic ceremonial site, and then brought it to Stonehenge. The biggest one of those stones is not the four, or three or four tons for the bluestones, but nearer forty. Forty tons. Forty tons.
0: Forty tons.
1: So think of a you know a truck you see on the roads and pulling uh. pulling that.
0: Yeah, that's almost as, as heavy as a, as a battleship uh, on sea.
1: Nah, nah, nah,
0: nah. nah, nah. Well, back mm.
1: in the day, 70 tons. Oh, back tons, in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah 70 yeah. tons with all the, that yeah, steel in Yeah, Sure, on
0: there. sure. So, uh, again, how they moved 40 tons either across Mother Earth or by water mm. is just, it, was, it boggles the mind.
1: 20, t- 20, 26 miles.
0: 26 miles. Do you have an engineering degree at all in the background? Have you studied engineering at all? Am I must no. boggle engineers' minds to think about how they did this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it's really interesting. There's some film of people in Indonesia who have what they call a stone-pulling ceremony. And there's, there's footage of them. There's about 300 people with ropes pulling along this stone. And on top, there's the important people with waving flags. And it's a great party. And the party is about pulling stones. And the stones they, they pull, they're about 30 or 40 tons. And they have logs and, uh, as rollers and take the, roll, roll, the rollers from the back, put them at the front, and just keep on going. Extraordinary amount of effort. So it's not If you're doing 26 miles, that's not, you're not going to do that in a day.
0: No, no that's certainly
1: not. <laughs> so it's going to you know, take a couple of weeks. And then you've got to feed 300 people for a couple of weeks. And then the stones are also shaped, so it would take another year, possibly two years, to individually shape each stone. And Stonehenge is completely bonkers because if you it it was it very clearly you was uh, follows examples built in timber, where you've got an axe, you can easily shape mm-hmm. them, and there are um, sort of a, a joint on the top, it's a bit like uh, like Lego. So they slot together just right, like Lego. Okay. Um, and that's a great woodworking technique, mortise and tenon sort of thing. And they use that technique in stone, which is bonkers.
0: So let's also talk about uh, another reason or reasons why it was built. And you've touched on a little bit. But, um, I'll just throw out three possibilities here. Utility, religious,
1: or a memorial, a monument. Religious? I prefer to use the word ceremonial. So, okay. <laughs> the reason for that is a birthday party is a ceremony. Okay. It's not a religion. It's not necessarily a religion. Um, you may have a coming-of-age ceremony, uh, you know, and it may be marking, Stonehenge may be marking the end of the old year, the beginning of the new year. It may, you know, it might be more about boring calendars than about those people up in the sky. Gotcha. So that's it's called hedging your bets. So, and sorry, the third one was, I've forgotten. Uh, Memorial. Memorial, yeah. Now, that's really interesting. I think I I did touch on that, which is that some, it was in use, it's actually uh, Europe's largest Neolithic ceremony, uh, cemetery. So there's about 150 people buried there, um, all cremated, well, mostly cremated. And those people may well have grown up further west in Wales. So it may be that it's commemorating the, ancestors. And in fact, the the, those blue stones I talked about, where they are now is not their first position. They've been moved. They've been reused. So one of those blue stones was certainly what we call a trilithon. That's two upright stones, flat one on the top, Okay, exactly the same as the ones you see today that are the the huge ones that are the sarsens. But that was then taken apart and put into a, a circle. So... It's been reused and it's been changed. In fact, Stonehenge was in use for over one and a half thousand years and it was being changed all the way through that until it was finally uh, abandoned in about 1500 BC. So you think of that a bit like the great European cathedrals because the first of those, they they often were started, the, the earliest of those were sort of started at the end of the Roman period in 500 AD and that's how far you have to go back in terms of the wow. way we think about how long it was used for. Wow. And then also my favourite topic, this is the, the the real strength of my museum and its nationally important collections, is then the the construction period was really to an, about five hundred years. They were moving the stones afterwards, but they didn't bring any new stones to the site, as far as we can tell. But then they switched. That was when metal arrives in Britain. Um, And the first metals are um, copper and then bronze, which is copper and tin alloyed together, which is harder and sharper, uh, and gold. And what they were then doing was instead of that focus on building, is the focus was on burying people with objects that showed how important they were. And so one of the things we've loaned to the exhibition are um, studs that decorated a dagger. So there was a a chap who was buried um, on the ridge looking down over Stonehenge on that solstice line. So the position is really important. He had a gold lozenge on his chest, and he had a dagger. And the dagger was decorated with little studs. Um, The studs are about the same thickness as a human hair and are less than a millimeter long. And they were laid out in in an intricate zigzag pattern that needed something like 140,000 of those tiny little gold studs. Now, they didn't have magnifying glasses. So that was assembled with a naked eye. And we think that was probably made by children because only children have that combination of manual dexterity and great eyesight. And it would have destroyed the eyesight of those children When they grew up, they wouldn't have been able to focus on anything more than a couple of feet away. And it would have taken um, 140,000 gold studs, placed individually, one a minute, that's nine months worth of work. And in the time to make the studs in the first place, you're talking five years worth of effort.
0: That is absolutely fascinating.
1: And because the studs on the dagger handle were at slightly different angles, the, the thing would have just shimmered in the sunlight.
0: What kind, of person, what kind of person would this be at that time? <laughs> would he have been a leader of some kind?
1: I, I think that's pretty, a pretty reasonable saying. guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was obviously the boss. He was the, the chief. We, we call him the Bush Barrow Chieftain. <laughs> so, yeah, he was the boss, all right. Wow. And it's interesting that um, he, he was buried with an axe uh, and, a, and daggers, and axes and daggers are carved on the stones at Stonehenge. So there's something here about the re- that relationship between the monument and the leaders. You know, it's obviously showing their power mm-hmm. and influence.
0: When th- It was built so long ago, it's hard to get your mind around uh, the time it was built and then maybe the time it was First discovered again? Is there a time when was Stonehenge was first discovered?
1: Not, again? not first discovered. It was always there. In fact, the name Stonehenge. This is a great one. It comes from. Um, it's from the henge bit is hanging. It was a hanging stone. It was a place of execution in the Saxon period, about a thousand years ago. So it was never forgotten. It was always there. But it was also on the edges. So in in England, we've got what are called parishes. So little you know areas. Um, so, you have a village, and then its surrounding farmland is the parish okay and this was and Stonehenge was on the border of the parishes, so it was at the edge okay. you know you didn 't go there, so it was obviously recognized as something that you know belonged to a time past. It was sort of, sort of identified as a monument you know in sort of beginnings of what we call archaeology in seventeen forty and then um there were excavations there. and This is the particular feature of my museum from about 1790 um, until 1810, and that uncovered the burials of something like 200 people under barrows in the Stonehenge landscape, with gold and amber and other materials brought from across, with links across the whole of the west, uh, the, uh, the whole of Western Europe. It's absolutely extraordinary. They were in contact with the Baltic, so that's 3,000 miles. And Iceland or Greenland, and almost certainly with the Mediterranean world. So you think of these people, two, three, three, four thousand years ago as you know, isolated communities. Far from it.
0: So Stonehenge has been around for so long. I've got to imagine there has to be some sort of settling even the best engineer in the world a 40 ton rock is going to shift over thousands of years how is stonehenge today has it been has it been rehabbed or propped back up in any kind of way to preserve its original state
1: All, all of the above okay so you can actually date photographs and paintings of stonehenge by the various states of the different stones so um for example, one of those trilithons—that's the two uprights, flat lintel on top. Mm. One of those fell over in seventeen. You know, this is a test here. Seventeen ninety-three in an earthquake, and when the stone fell, the the falling was felt twenty miles away, because it's you know the stone on top is probably about uh, twenty tons, and then two thirty-plus ton stones. You know that falling, uh, that shifts a bit. Wow. And that's been re-erected. So yes, it has been. Um, conserved and restored over the years.
0: We're almost out of time here. What is your favorite part of the exhibition?
1: Well, for me, <laughs> because it's my, you know, it comes from my museum. There's this little disc which is made of gold. It's about the size of your thumbnail. And the, the gold covers a piece of bone. Now, the bone, has a little squiggle on it, and that shows it's a bit of skull bone. Now, we don't know what it comes from. When I tried to blackmail the specialists, all they would say it was a medium-sized mammal, but by which they mean sheep, goat, or human. Now, they were doing an operation. We've, we've got other examples of this called trepanning, where you take a, a piece of flint. It's a piece of stone the a sharp blade. It's a bit like glass. And you saw a hole in the skull and, and take it. Now, it could be a bit of her own skull. She may have had this operation done. It could be the skull of a warrior killed in battle mm-hmm. or a bit of Sunday lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just dying to, to have to wait. Um, we've got to wait until there's a DNA test where you can just zap it with a yeah. laser. Oh I'm just dying to find out. Wow. Can people go see Stan- Stonehenge today? They can. Can, it's, it's, can they touch it? Asked not to. So they, they, you can turn up you know so sort of 365 days a year and visit the visit the monument visit the site if you book about 6 months in advance you can do the amazing thing which is to go inside the stones and that's just is another experience because you understand the scale mm-hmm. and think how on earth did they do that um, and how about the setting sun could the, you
0: be there during the setting sun and all with all of yeah, that too yeah those
1: those those times are at the beginning and the end of the okay. day so you see the rising the setting of the sun but they you're asked not to touch the stones because the stones have lichen on and the lichen is incredibly rare and so you're asked not to touch the stones they do have examples of the blue stones and the sarsen for you to stu- to touch that you can touch wow. but there are other monuments to visit uh, come and visit my museum visit the museum in Salisbury and site at Avebury
0: i got to ask you one more question here before we go because I know we're out of time here, uh, you, you've touched on a little bit before, it's connection it, it fits, Stonehenge fits with something I'm and, and how much does it fit in with astronomy?
1: Absolutely. The, there is no doubt that it is lined up with the the solstice line. So that's the rising, the setting of the sun at the uh, shortest and longest shortest, longest day. There are four stones on the outside that most people don't spot. Um, and those mark, and I have to say this very carefully, most northerly and southerly rising and setting points of the Moon. Now, those things are no coincidence. Beyond that, it's a bit of guesswork. Because if you think about it, if, you, if you've if got a big stone and you've got another one you know, 100 yards away, do you take the center of the stone? How can you do that if it's mm-hmm. 20 foot tall and you're down here? Do you take the left-hand side? Do you take the right-hand side as the sight line? So it starts to fall apart in terms of what you can prove. But there's, uh, a, but in Germany there's a, a, a disc was found made of bronze. that's um, got gold on it, little bit, bits of gold. And those gold uh, little dots are the uh, shape of the Pleiades. The gold the, the bronze is uh, the, the, the gold certainly comes from Cornwall. So they're found in Germany, there's a link to Cornwall, and there's the Pleiades, and there's other bits that link to the solstices. So they certainly did know about the stars but it's just being a hard, boring academic. (laughs) You can't prove it.
0: (laughs) This has been uh, one of the most fascinating podcasts uh, that we have had here. There are so many more questions we'd love to ask you, but uh, we're out of time, and we're going to encourage everyone. You must go see Stonehenge uh, down at Union Station. Uh, Mr. David Dawson, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you joining us here on Signal Hill.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Signal Hill is available wherever you get your podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. Also on our website at fox4kc.com slash podcast. You'll find all of our podcasts there. We will send an alert on this podcast when it is posted, and the simple way to follow that is on our podcast Facebook page. Give us a like there at fox4podcast on Facebook, and then boom you are notified. Be sure to check out uh, Union Station's Stonehenge exhibit. It runs through September, unionstation.org Stonehenge. And again, thanks to our, des- our uh, guest, Mr. David Dawson, a British archaeologist and an expert on Stonehenge. Thanks for listening to Signal Hill. Talk to you again soon.